Yeah, let's do it. All right, Jade. So one thing that I've been thinking about since we taped the Dana Dude interview that's coming up later in this episode is Netflix and franchises, especially in today's modern media entertainment landscape that revolves around franchises. Now, we know Netflix has lost friends to HBO Max and The Office to Peacock in the last year, and it doesn't really have a homegrown comedy franchise at the moment. But that doesn't mean Netflix isn't developing a ton of different franchises and brand expansions that kind of take the formula of blockbuster Hollywood and adapt it to streaming. I think specifically, what we can refer to right now as the most relevant example is the third movie in the lovable rom-com series to all the boys I've loved before. That is a franchise. It spawned a, a franchise actor in Noah Centineo. He's now like all over Netflix. <laughs> he is the go-to rom-com guy. He's busting out into other kind of traditional studio theatrical films. I think he's going to be in Sony's He-Man. So he's a homegrown Netflix star. So we're going to talk right now about To All the Boys. I think we're going to we're going to get a little bit more in depth into it. And then in the second half of the show today, we're going to talk to Dana Dute, who stars on The Crew, the new NASCAR-themed Kevin James sitcom that comes out this week. But also, you might recognize him from Cobra Kai and some of the many, many, many things that this man does, because he has a lot of jobs. <laughs> he is a multi-hyphenate talent. I'm excited for you guys to listen to that. But first... To all the boys three. Yeah. Okay, listen. I thought it was delightful. It was everything <laughs> I needed. It was it it gave you it gave me the same feelings as the first one did. And I guess we should And I just want to quickly say I apologize <laughs> for interrupting, but every rom com's goal should to be give you should be to give you feelings. So I'm so glad that you yes. phrased it that way, Gene, because <laughs> Listen, these don't need to be like Annie Hall, you know, uh, the groundbreaking comedies that get nominated for Oscars. They just need to make you feel. And if it's going to be tied to Valentine's Day weekend, all I need is a little feel. Yeah. So it's basically uh, this YA book series by Jenny Han about this girl, Lara Jean, who writes letters to her crushes that she never intends to mail and somehow they get mailed and they find out and then she strikes up a relationship with this hot jock at her school and it starts out fake but then spoiler alert they fall in love and then the second movie was the second book in that series which focused on the kind of rivalry for her affections by uh peter kavinsky the aforementioned hot jock and another guy um, who she knew as a kid. And then uh, at the end of that, she gets back together with her hot jock. And then... Hashtag the, hot jock. Hashtag hot jock. Hashtag no centineo. Um, and then the third one, which is the one that just came out, is, is Lara Jean and Peter kind of figuring out what their futures are. Um as the end of senior year approaches and they have to decide what colleges they're going to go to and they have prom and they have all these other, you know, typical high school things. And as we know, Gene, based on every piece of high school programming that's ever come out, prom is the single most important event of your life, correct? Apparently. Like, 
It, it's so funny because I feel like, I don't know, what was your prom like? Because I remember being at my senior prom and like in my dress and dancing with my friends, but also being at the same time like, this is, this is it? I've, I've had more fun watching movies or like driving around in someone's car and doing nothing. <laughs> uh, but like, okay, we yeah. all looked nice. Although like, if you go back and look at your prom photos, like my prom dress is extremely 2000s energy. <laughs> <laughs> I love just- it. And you know what, Jean? If we're going to continue this partnership, I'm going to have to see at least one picture from that prom. Okay. And I, I will trade show, you, will you. Okay. one picture of me with, with what I thought was cool back then, my, my very, very short kind of buzzed hair and oh, my skinny 100-pound frame. But, but, like, listen, watching this movie was – it brought back fun – memories yeah. of like the 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 moments that even if they weren't necessarily the actual rites of passage that you're told are supposed to be important but just those times where you were just truly so dumb and silly and carefree with your friends it, it, it's a delightful feeling to kind of revisit and for me I, I echo kind of what you said up top for me, to all the boys three was better than the second one, which I thought was a huge step down, but still not quite as charming as that really lovable first one. But, you know, despite the uneven quality of this trilogy, I still found this three threequel to be cute enough, which is all I needed, especially as a Valentine's Day weekend release that I watched with a lady friend who, who felt the same as me. We both liked it enough. So I would absolutely recommend it to people out there who are still debating, should I watch it? Should I not? But to me, Gene, as we kind of zoom out the conversation about Netflix rom-coms and franchises, to me, the Netflix gold standard for rom-coms remains always be my maybe. And I think it ties in nicely with our overarching point about Netflix trying to franchise their content because Ali Wong, who, who co-wrote that, who produced it, who starred in it, she's a homegrown Netflix star. She came up through the Netflix stand-up uh, uh, ch- channel with two excellent stand-ups that I highly recommend everybody get check out if they need a laugh. She then expanded into a ton of different projects you know, more stand-up, writing, producing, acting, voice acting. She's in your beloved Tuca and Birdie. She is someone who has operated most of her career and her meteoric rise under the Netflix banner. So that, to me, is kind of part of the Netflix's franchising efforts. Can we develop stars into household names over the course of a few years? Now, Netflix is also developing viable commercial franchises in addition to all the boys that bring in huge viewership for them. After a time where you only thought it was possible for franchises to kind of start in movie theaters. So I think they have retrofitted the theatrical box office repetitive cash flow formula for the streaming era in a pretty effective way. And they have a ton of efforts coming up to continue that that we'll talk about a little bit later in this conversation. Yeah, I I loved Always Be My Maybe. I thought it was delightful. My yes. personal favorite Netflix rom-com of the past few years is Set It Up with Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Ooh. Powell. I just think those two have the most amazing Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks energy. And oh, that's a good comparison. Right? I like They're that. They're just both so charming and nice. Nice and likable, and I would watch them in like 20 more movies together. I do know that they have signed on to do another 
rom-com together. It's not a sequel to Set It Up. It's just... But it's for yeah, Netflix? I believe so. I believe okay, it's for I'm Netflix. In. I'm in. I just want it. I, I feel like <laughs> I hope that is not a casualty of Corona, but like, please, I will watch. Honestly, I will watch any movie with either of them because I find them both so likable. Like, I, yeah, another one that I know has been on Netflix is the, um, that Glenn Powell is in is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which is another kind of delightful rom. No, it's not a rom-com, but it's kind of like a – it's wartime uh, – about a wartime book club on the island Ooh. of Guernsey, which was Nazi-occupied. And it's like about, you know, the people who are living there. And I don't know. It's just nice and charming. You wouldn't expect a movie about right. Nazi-occupied island is, is going to be nice and charming. But, but it is. But again, <laughs> going back to the well of reusing Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Powell in this – homegrown pipeline of talent development speaks to what we're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And and speaking of kind of Netflix talent, uh, there was a big announcement this week about Bridgerton season two. And so season two is basically going to focus on the second book, which focuses on the eldest Bridgerton sibling, Anthony. Um, he was the older brother who was kind of a dick and he had sideburns in case <laughs> you need a little refresher. So basically they cast his main love interest, who is a fan favorite from the books. And interestingly, the um, woman that they cast is actually um, a Netflix uh, actor as well. An alum. Yeah, exactly. She, uh, her name is Simone Ashley, and she has been on Sex Education. So they're definitely pulling from a well of talent that they know. Um, this is a kind of exciting because it, uh, she is a South Asia- Asian actress, and cool. so this is another way that. They're bringing uh, interesting racial diversity to the show. Um, so that's very exciting. I- I'm excited to see that. Hell yeah. <laughs> and as you've said on this pod, Bridgerton lends itself not only to multiple seasons, but multiple spinoffs because of how big the Bridgerton clan is. And if we're going to believe Netflix's own viewership data, which is a little, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, it is Bridgerton is their most popular original ever after one month of viewing. So this has the potential to grow and expand in a million different ways. And it really fits into what's going on in entertainment right now. I mean, Disney Plus is changing the water cooler discussion with MCU and Star Wars weekly shows going forward that intersect with the movies. Uh, back in December, they announced 10 new shows in Star Wars alone, 10 new Marvel series. They have a ton of original Pixar content. Warner Media is doing something similar with its franchisability with the content such as Game of Thrones, the Harry Potter series, spinoffs for Dune, the Batman, and the Suicide Squad. These are all set up across HBO and HBO Max as, again, franchising elements, spinning off brands into additional complementary content. Now, of course, Gene, Netflix may not have the same cross-platform setup in place because they're not releasing movies in theaters. You know, they don't have necessarily a separate distribution channel. But it's clear they are trying to do something similar with their own original IP. You know, repetitive cash flow, like I said, or sequels, has been the name of the game in traditional blockbuster entertainment for years. Now with streaming, it's taken on a new meaning. 
but with a similar framework. Create a story people want to keep coming back to in multiple ways. So what Netflix is doing that generates equivalent noise as some of these other companies, they've got The Witcher, their second most popular original ever. They're already developing at least one planned spinoff. They've got Bridgerton, like we mentioned. They've got the the rom-com movie franchises that we've mentioned. They got Extraction with Chris Hemsworth developing a sequel. They spent a billion dollars on Roald Dahl's library. Uh, They spent a ton of money on Mark Millar's Millarverse, which gives them a whole avalanche of superhero content. They have animated spinoffs for Jurassic World and Fast and Furious. So... Long story short, deep breath after that rant, they are trying to do what every other media company is doing. And frankly, from the outside looking in, they're succeeding. Yeah. I mean, another thing that I would love, I honestly don't know if a sequel is in the works, but I don't know if you watched The Old Guard, the uh, action movie with Charlize Theron and Kiki Lane. And that, to me, that whole movie, it's about these immortal kind of fighters. That, to me, was a whole setup for, like, future really kind of more interesting uh, adventures from that team. (laughs) But, but yeah. They are planning a sequel, if I remember correctly. I mean, give it to me. (laughs) Basically, apparently right now I'm just impatient. I just want all of the sequels. TikTok, baby, we're we're ready. (laughs) I am not doing anything else. Give me more entertainment, Netflix. (laughs) Oh, good old pandemic. And then, you know, just bringing it back to sitcoms and the type of content that subscribers tune into and sign up for and pay for. Seinfeld is coming later this year, which should give them a nice feather in their cap following the departure of The Office and Friends. Uh, Whether or not the crew is set up for a long-term comedy franchise at Netflix remains to be seen. we got to see how viewers respond to that. But in the meantime, we can get a kind of inside look at Netflix's hopeful new buzzy titled comedy when we talk to Dana Dute, who is a co-star. And welcome back to Must Watch Netflix Edition. We are now joined by Dana Dude. He is the star of the new Netflix sitcom, The Crew. You can also see him in Cobra Kai. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. And thank you, uh, Frank Netflix, if you're listening, the owner of Netflix. Thank you for giving me a career. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think a lot of Hollywood uh, individuals owe their career to that, Frank Netflix. Yeah, Frankie's a good guy. Uh, I just want to go on the record apologizing for the five plus years that I borrowed my cousin's uh, Netflix (laughs) password. Uh, You know, I pay for my own Netflix now. I swear I do. So to be honest, that should they should give you free Netflix when you're on now two shows. Right. Seriously. The Crew is a NASCAR comedy. You've got Kevin James, Jillian Mueller, Gary Anthony Williams, Sarah Stiles, a lot of funny, talented people. But while Netflix has Freddie a, Stroma, don't forget Freddie Stroma. Freddie Stroma is very funny in it. Yeah. Uh, but while Netflix has a ton of comedies on their roster, I would say the average viewer may not necessarily expect a kind of classic multicam workplace sitcom like this. So, how would you pitch the the show to a Netflix user who might be surprised to come across something like The Crew? Okay, so it's funny because whenever people ask like, "What's The Crew like?" the references that people use are so old they're like it's like cheers meets taxi which is true but it's just it's more of a testament to how there hasn't been a good workplace uh, multicam in decades and so i think it's the first time that that's happening in a long time i think in my opinion especially film in front of a live audience uh and kevin james is such a rock star that 
he could have just had like a one-hander, two-hander where he's just, you know, the lead in the snap, but he shared it with a with a wacky workplace. <laughs> and so it's putting it's seeing him in such an interesting light, uh, just kind of, you know, kind of sharing the stage with us. And uh, I, I, I really love the way the show came out. I just finished watching it. And it's one of those things where if you're a, if you're a NASCAR guy, you're going to find so much in it that's like niche and you love. And it's very true to NASCAR because we had, you know, NASCAR was executive producers on the show. So everything's really accurate because there's nothing that infuriates uh, super fans than when something <laughs> isn't accurate. Like I have a lot of friends who are doctors and if we watch ER or any, or like, you know, Grey's Anatomy, they're like, dude, that never happens. <laughs> no one's having sex in closets at the hospital. <laughs> so, you know, um, everything is very accurate. And, uh, and if you're not a NASCAR fan at all, you're still going to love it because the writing is so good. And I just think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, a perfect uh, w- workplace multicam. First of all, your doctor friends have very reasonable complaints because that doesn't seem like the most sanitary use of time in a hospital. And you actually got ahead of me a little bit because I was going to ask as well, are you a Netflix fl- fan yourself? Uh, sorry, a NASCAR fan yourself. I am. Am I, Have I frozen or am I back? You're back. back okay. Uh, I am a Netflix fan. I'm a huge Netflix fan. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a new NASCAR fan. I wasn't the biggest NASCAR fan uh, before getting into the show. But then, you know, we had a lot of the actual drivers come on set and we all became buddies. So we started to watch the races to see, you know, how they were doing in the races. And it's been super fun. And the fans are, all, are very, very excited about the show. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm in. I mean, the first race I ever watched was the Daytona 500 of last year, which I don't, whoever's listening to this, if, if, you, if you watched it, it was like the most violent car race <laughs> in all history. Like there were crashes every 10 laps and it ended with like, this driver, Ryan Newman, his car flipped over and there's like gas like is pouring out of the car and there's flames right next to it. And I'm watching this like I was like, I'm, I thought this was going to be like a re- relaxing, like have some beers, have some wings. <laughs> I was like stress eating pints of ice cream and screaming into a pillow by the end of it. If that um, isn't the absolute best metaphor for America, I don't know what is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I have I have since uh, gotten more into the sport for sure. It's interesting what you mentioned before, because I feel like some of the best sitcoms of the past decade or so have been workplace comedies, but you're right, they haven't been multi-cam. I mean, like The Office, Parks and Rec, and stuff like that, they're all single cam, and this is definitely a traditional multi-cam sitcom. Yeah, Um, and by the way, within the tradition of it all, there are moments where um, like the set that they use is so huge. It's like a, it's like an actual NASCAR garage. Like the racers that would come by would be like, wow, we can't believe how much this looks like our actual garage. So there's parts where there is a single cam aspect where the camera is following the actors from hallway, you know, and through the hallways from one room to the next. And also to the credit of uh, the creator, Jeff Lowell and the director, Andy Fickman, they would let us in a lot of scenes act uh, single cam-ish, which means, you know, like, we would be able to kind of speak on top of each other and like do a lot of wacky things and like improvise basically things that you don't normally get to do in a multicam comedy. They would give us the freedom to do uh, in this show. But yeah, I do. I do agree with you. There has not been a multicam. I, I, I think the office basically did something where they made single cam, small, small comedy 
like really, really like the hot thing. And I think it killed a lot of kind of bigger character stuff. I'm all, I've always been a huge fan of big character stuff. I came up, uh, you know, on SNL when it was like Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and it was just like big characters. So I love that like this show is that to me, like it's got big characters and it's hilarious. And I'm, I'm, and people think there's a laugh track. There isn't. We filmed it in front of a live studio audience and those are real, real laughs that you're hearing. That's fun. I mean, speaking of characters, your character on the crew is very anxiety riddled and you know he's kind of the complete opposite of the confident guy you played on Cobra Kai so I'm wondering what is it about the crew that you got to do something what did you get to do comedically that kind of interested you and attracted you so I love playing weirdos there's nothing that makes me happier than playing weirdo uh and when I got the audition for for Amir, you know, they asked to play it slightly weird, but I was like, man, I, I'm gonna make this the weirdest thing ever. And if they, they're either gonna love it or they're gonna hate it. And uh, thankfully they loved it and, and we went with it. But I, I don't know, I always love playing characters. Like it's just, it's so much more fun, A, and it's so much more easy. Like you don't have to do like, you know, like real person acting. You can do do like fun, fun, fake person acting. It's way, it's way more uh, my style. I like that you said that you were going to make it as weird as possible. Is that your kind of approach to all auditions? I'm going to be memorable, whether they love it or hate it. I'm certainly going to stand out. Is that, is that the kind of goal? You know what? This, and this, this might sound, this might come off pretentious. So let me just preface it by saying Just put your actor hat on. (laughs) Yes. Dan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about myself in the third person just for a little bit. Um, so when Dana Duke goes on an audition with a British accent, when Dana Duke, no, you know, the thing, the thing is my, a lot of my career transitioned into writing and selling TV shows, right? So that was the majority of what I was doing. And I was, and I, you know, I still do a lot of it and it, and it, and it, it affords me a, a good enough living where I don't really need to act, Right. So because of that, when I get an audition, I don't even look at it as what do the people, what, is, what do they want to see? I look at it as, let's say this show gets picked up. What wouldn't drive me crazy? Playing what kind of role? So I play it the way that I would love, like it would just be fun for me. And if that works for them, great. And if it doesn't, that's fine. I'm still gonna be able to pay the bills. You know, I have other stuff. So I have the, I guess it, gives, it gave me the freedom to make a really, bold choice and I think once you do that stuff that's when stuff starts happening I'm glad you mentioned that you know your your a lot of your career has been developing TV shows you've now uh had a kind of experience all across the entertainment spectrum and you've now worked with Netflix on a few different projects do you notice anything different in their approach to creating TV as opposed to some of the other platforms and networks you've worked with in the past and develop content for, you know, is there anything that sets them apart in your opinion? Well, look, I can speak to Cobra Kai on this, which is Cobra Kai lived for two years yeah. before it was on Netflix. And people don't know that. So you have to see this show and be like, okay, what's it on? YouTube, pass. And I'm like, God damn it. No one wants to watch something on YouTube. <laughs> so once it got to Netflix, the other amazing thing is that Netflix does something that other networks don't do, which is, they translate shows into like 50 languages. Like they make it, they give it the chance that it needs to breathe and become a potential, you know, worldwide hit like Cobra Kai did. Um, which by the way, 
uh, if the Brazilian translator uh, of my character is listening, thank you for making me sound so sexy. I appreciate <laughs> it. Obrigado. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, Netflix has that enormous platform and they, in terms of the way, you know, again, on the crew I was, and on Cobra Kai, I've acted, but I haven't really worked with the, uh, with the execs, but what I hear from the writers who, and the, and the creators of the show is that Netflix is like very good at letting you do you and letting them just, they just let the artists create their vision and go. So in terms of letting you do you though, as someone who's been a writer and a performer, is it ever hard for you to kind of follow the path that's laid out? Are you ever thinking like, "Mm, well, that's not what I would do if I was writing. Well, it's funny because they look the, to the credit of the uh, writers and the creator of, of, the crew, they let us pitch things. They, I've pitched jokes on other characters and they'll take them. So like, they're very cool about, about being collaborative. And it's not like an ego thing where it's like, no, this is the written word. You must do what is on it. <laughs> like they know that they hired us to be, you know, to be us. And, and so if we, if we read something that, that even just tonally, not even comedically, we're just like, I don't think I would say that. They're like, then don't say it. Say it how you think you'd say it. So, uh, no, we haven't run into any, any issues like that. Well, then also, so being a writer, being an actor, you've developed TV shows for various networks. You've written for Comedy Central Roast. You're a stand-up. You're an actor. You have your Green Eggs and Damn podcast. Do you have a favorite lane of, of any of these, or do you really like that you get to wear all these different hats? Honestly, I've gotten this question a bunch, and I, I think that each one of those things that you mentioned offers up something different, you know? Um, I think, uh, just real briefly, like, I, I love the acting because I'm just playing, basically, and I get to, you know, get out of my head and be weird and have fun. And then I love the writing because it's like, well, I, I hate writing. This is a quote from Josh Heald, one of the creators of Cobra Kai. I hate writing, but I love being done with writing. So... <laughs> It's torturous, but when it's done, it's like, oh my God, I have this thing that I can hold that's tangible and take it around and people can read it and this and that, which is nice. Uh, but then with stand-up, it's like you're writing and you're acting it out and you're, it's all you and you're getting all the credit, which is awesome. But it also like gives me more anxiety than anything else. So it's like they each have their own uh, fun little things. And then the podcast, which is my food podcast, is just sheer fun because I just get to talk about food, which is all I ever care about <laughs> talking about. As one should, really. That It's all about priorities in life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So to jump off that, Dan, uh, I'm in no way, shape, or form comparing us because what you do as a professional is far above what I ever hoped to do. But I did perform stand-up in high school and college, and I'm curious, as a fan of your act, how you found you needed to adjust or develop your performing skills for TV because obviously being funny on stage and being funny as part of an ensemble cast are two extremely different skill sets. Yeah. Um, yes and no. I would say that, well, first of all, yes, obviously with the ensemble, you don't want to, you want to let other people sing and you want to be able to let other people shine. And honestly, it's, I think the more you can be an assist man, uh, and just like help other people be funny, that to me is way more fun in a lot of ways uh, in acting. But no, in that, you know, mul- the reason I love doing multicam is because it's a lot like doing stand up. You're in front of an audience and you're real time 
you know, kind of changing your performance based on the reaction of an audience, which is a lot of what stand-up is like. So to me, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Since you have enjoyed such an eclectic career, is any is there anything moving forward that you would consider a dream project? Like what is still there on your kind of goals list? Um, so I have a couple things that I'm working on right now and they are both food related. Uh, and that is about all I can say, but you know, <laughs> look, fingers crossed one of them, maybe we'll have uh, three shows on Netflix, uh, that I'm on. So we'll see. <laughs> well, at the risk of getting under the microscope and kind of putting us in the crosshairs of Netflix, I know season three just aired, but any idea of what fans can expect for season four of Cobra Kai? I don't know much about season four. All I know is that every year that we do a season of the show, I'm like, there's no way that the next season is going to be able to carry the weight of that last season. And somehow, some way, they keep managing it to, managing to do it. And it's unbelievable. Um, so I, I have full faith in them. And I'm sure that now that Netflix is behind the show, it's going to get you know anything that they need, they're going to get. So... Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going down to uh, Atlanta pretty soon to, to start filming. I haven't seen anything, so I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it's going to be amazing. I mean, based on the last three seasons, of course it is. That's, yeah. that, we're not even sucking up to you. It's just a fact at this point that Cobra Kai is one of the most purely enjoyable TV shows on yeah. the air. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, I'm not even taking credit for that. Like, I give the credit to the writers and, the, and you know, the, the other actors. Like, I have a fun role in it, but it's not like carrying the show. But um, uh, yeah, it's, it's insane. The only negative is that, uh, you know, to, there's, there's something bittersweet about being on the most popular show in the world. And then every time you leave your house, you have to put a mask on so no one can recognize you. <laughs> That's so true. That's why you, you want to get interrupted at Trader Joe's, uh, man. <laughs> uh, uh, it's funny. I was actually hiking the other day and uh, there was a little boy and his mom and the boy had a Cobra Kai mask on. And I was like, hey, do you like Cobra Kai? He's like, yeah, I love Cobra Kai. And I pulled my mask out. I was like, I'm a noosh. And he's like, oh, my God, what's a noosh doing in the mountains? It was very funny. That was That's like your really star adorable. moment. It was, very yeah. cute. it was very cute. Yeah. I love that. Well, as you know, this is a Netflix podcast where we talk about what we like on Netflix. Oh, it is? So I'm wondering. Oh, what I had no idea. Yeah. I had no. I was no. just kissing up to Netflix for yeah. that's what I always do organically. Well, there you go. Smart strategy. I mean, we need to know Frank Netflix, who is listening, obviously. Frankie Nets. Um, <laughs> old girl Frankie. Um, but what are you watching on Netflix right now? What have you been really enjoying? And it doesn't have to be current. It can be the most random old show. I might wa be watching things on Netflix that you, even you guys haven't watched on Netflix. Ooh. Challenge accepted. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. So there's a... French show that I just finished watching called Lupin, L-U-P-I-N. You watched it? Most, one of our most popular oh, yeah. podcast episodes was our Lupin yeah. discussion. We love, we love. Oh, awesome. I love so that. Good. Wow, you guys go deep. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, yeah, I just finished watching that. I loved it. Um, I watch religiously. There's a show that my buddy has on Netflix called Meat Eater. Are you familiar with this show? I don't know that no. one. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> All right, but we were one for two. We're batting 500. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. No, Meat Eater is a, well, it's a, it's a kind of foodie hunting show. 
So it's this guy, Steve Brunella, who's a hunter conservationalist chef. And he goes out and it's just like a beautiful kind of nature show as well, you know, until he kills it. And uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great show. I love that show. Um, I watched, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. Oh, Somebody Feed Phil. That's on Netflix, isn't it? Yep. We love that show, yes. That's We've had one. Phil on the show and he was a wonderful <laughs> yeah. guest. He's too nice, man. I've had him on my podcast. <laughs> I feel like he's doing, I feel like he's covering something up. There's dead hookers somewhere <laughs> in his past. <laughs> well, we are reporters, so we will try to unearth any potential skeletons. Please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Before we go, let all the listeners at home know where they can find you. Plug anything you got coming up that you're excited about beyond just the amazingness of the crew. And uh, just let the people know. Yeah, uh, so you can find me. On Instagram and Twitter at StandUpDan, and uh, my website is StandUpDan.com. And uh, yeah, just just watch the crew. Give it a shot. I think you're gonna love it, even if it's not your format that you're into. Even if you're not, you're not into NASCAR. Trust me, this is like it's like most multicams on TV now are just seem like hopped up Disney shows, <laughs> and this is not that. This is like an adult show. So I think I think everyone's really gonna love it. Dan, my only problem with your excellent description, hopped up Disney shows, is that you're threatening what we do. We're supposed to be the good describers of TV. We're the critics. <laughs> Stop trying to steal all the talent. You got enough yeah. jobs, man. Come on. <laughs> Leave something for us to do, Dan. Damn. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize, guys. My bad. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, thank man. You. Much appreciated. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And that is it, ladies and gentlemen. New episodes of Must Watch Netflix Edition post every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review us if you're liking it. And if not, you know, have a nice day. Thanks for listening to the end. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Gene. Until next week, you guys. Until next week. I love it. That was good. That was a good episode.